part of our missional affiliates, which means they're part of what we refer to as Conduit Collective, and it is groups of churches all around the country. South Coast has been a, a partner of ours in a number of different ways to reach out to Haiti and Togo, Africa uh, financially, but they've also sent teams down to, to do work there, and so Darren went to go share with them today and uh, be blessed by their community and uh, vice versa. So he sends his greetings. He, um, he arranged for a good friend, a new, really good friend, um, someone I know that on, on Darren's account, on my account, and on a few others, David Christopher and Audrey Pate, we've been able to kind of sit with Benny and let Benny uh, peel back some of the wisdom that he's learned by studying the Word. And uh, he is here to share with us today, and I want you guys to give Benny a, a warm welcome. Come on, Benny. Thank you, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. So go ahead and open your Bible or look it up on your technology. Find, your, find Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's, it is great to be with you. I've had the opportunity over the last month or two to meet with uh, your leadership team here at the church and begin to uh, just share and invest in them and them invest in me. I was a youth pastor for 30 years. And uh, I remember when I turned 40, uh, my, my pastor came to me and he said, now, how long are you going to keep doing this? You know, like, aren't you getting a little obsolete? And, and I said, uh, what, what does that mean? Does that mean when you turn 40, it's sort of over for you with kids? And you, that was sort of what he was saying, right? So I said, well, pastor, I would be real careful not to say that on Sunday morning because you just told every parent when they turn 40, they might as well give up on their kids. He said, mm, never thought of it that way. <laughs> I said, I think if I was a 40-year-old youth pastor, I ought to be better at it, not obsolete. And he said, well, yeah, I guess so. I said, you know, when I started out, um, I didn't have any children. So I had to tell parents that I was working in the church. I was going, I can't tell you anything about your kids because I don't know anything about kids. You know, <laughs> I don't have any. I've, I've hung out with your kids. And so they sort of brought their kids to me, and they said, would you fix our kids? I said, you broke them, you fix them. I'm not going to fix your kids. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but now, after a few years, we have grown children, our eighth grandchild on the way. Uh, and the, the expert with children is really here, and it's not me, it's my wife. So, Mary Lou, we're actually celebrating our 40th wedding, our wedding anniversary this, this year. And, uh, yeah, I... I, I thank God all the time. She keeps letting me come back home. So <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you, honey. You're full of grace. Uh, but we, we have uh, uh, got some of our um, uh, students that I was actually their youth pastor. Brian, how many years ago, buddy? 20. Oh, my. <laughs> so I'm sort of on the spot here this morning talking about uh, family and kids because my wife's here, so I can't lie. She knows the truth, you know. I don't. I, a lot of times when I speak, I don't like to take her with me because I can really say anything <laughs> I want to. But now I've got to be truthful this morning, you know. And of course, Brian, you know, it's all out there. Uh, so you're going to get the real deal today. Uh, can't make up anything. Um, but it is good to be with you. I, I love uh, conduit. What's going on here, and the direction that as, as y'all seek the Lord as a body of believers of how to best serve him and represent him in the world. And uh, so uh, as I've traveled um, 
in, I guess in 1995, we started an organization called uh, First Priority of America. And it's an organization that trains student leaders literally how to be missionaries in their schools. Because after all the years of being a youth pastor and seeing all the struggles that we were having in our school system, of, uh, I had one guy say, well, that problem is they kick God out of our schools. I said, really? I said, I'd like to meet the guy who could kick God out of anywhere. Who is this person that could kick God out of somewhere? God's everywhere all the time. I said, what we did is we said, we'll no longer honor you, God. So what we've done so much in our, in our world, in our schools, in our government, everything is to, to choose to dishonor God who's always there. As your music said, he's always there. He didn't go anywhere. But we don't acknowledge him. We don't uh, live according to his ways. You know, we reject him. But he's always there all the time. So, uh, and, and he's, he's always waiting. And he's always ready for us. Uh, the, there's one common denominator. Well, in, in 2095, we started First Priority of America. And we've now done training in over 1,000 cities across the U.S. And we have First Priority groups in schools of... Uh, some estimate now we're, we are over 10,000 schools in America where students take the initiative to have a Christian ministry in the public school. And but there's only one group of people that have the right to speak for God, to speak the truth of the gospel, politically have the right uh, to speak the gospel in our schools. That's the kids. See, our Constitution says that... Uh, the government cannot establish a religious cause. The government has to remain neutral. And so our government has a hard time remaining neutral, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, but it says, uh, so teachers, my wife's a public school teacher. I was a public school teacher early in my youth ministry, bivocational. And they said, well, teachers, you're now an agent of the government, so you can't promote a religious cause because that's trying to establish religion in a, in a, in a marketplace or a place where kids because of government, have to be there, our public schools. So really, there's only one group that legally, First Amendment rights, freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, can go into the schools and speak about Christ and speak about their faith and share their faith. That's students. Your Constitution says you can do that, the First Amendment. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. So we began to train students how to go into their schools, organize as the body of Christ to represent Christ in their schools, and begin to be the messengers of hope that Christ gives us to their Friends, and we've seen that happen in schools all around America since 1995. And in 2009, we established First Party Global. So now we're training people in India and China and South America. And uh, Mary Lou and I have been across Europe and Africa. Uh, and we now have teams of local people, Africans training Africans. And, and India, people in India training the churches in India and the students in India how to do First party. The interesting thing is, is we had to jump through so many hoops here in America to establish that movement in our schools, and we go to a lot of other countries, and it's wide open. We have no legal limitations whatsoever. It's amazing. We were in Russia, uh, I guess in Siberia, and uh, Novosibirsk, Siberia. Some of y'all might have been there. I think somebody told me they'd been to Novosibirsk, and we're we're there with a group of students in the schools, and the, the ready. Russia, Siberia, the director of schools said, will you come into our schools and go classroom to classroom and tell our kids who Jesus is? I was, I was sitting there, I was going, I can't even do this in America. 
And I'm invited to do that in Russia. We go, something's wrong with this picture. But so that's, that's sort of the ministry we work with. It's called First Party. We're now doing that around the world. And there's one thing as we've traveled around the world that I found in common with all people. The great common denominator of all people. And, of course, we used to hear the joke or the, you'd say, what, what does everybody have in common? Death and taxes. You know, they go, everybody's got to die and everybody's got to pay taxes. Well, um, not everybody has to die. I think uh, Enoch was taken and Elijah the prophet, he didn't die. So there was, not everybody has to die. And a lot of people don't pay their taxes and get away with it's what I hear. So I, but there is, there is one thing that we all have in common, no matter where I go. I already experienced it this morning in talking with some folks that came in. Do you know what? Every person I've ever met, no matter where I go in the world, doesn't matter whether you're Baptist or Buddhist or uh, whatever you are, what religion, whatever, everybody wants the same thing. You know what they want? A home and a family. It doesn't matter where you go. And it doesn't matter what your religious beliefs, the great common denominator is everybody wants a home and a family. Pretty important to all of us, isn't it? You go, uh, I remember I was in Romania and we were speaking. Uh, it, there was the cloud cover that night, no street lights. Uh, they had run, they had a gas shortage. We got through speaking to this church. And so they said, you got to stay in a family's home here in the church because we can't get you back to the hotel. So I remember walking outside the door of the church that night, no street lights, no starlights. It was like being in a cave. It was pitch black. And I holding on to this guy that I didn't know and couldn't talk to because I spoke English and he spoke Romanian and he was leading me to his house. And it was like walking in the dark holding on to this guy. So we finally got to their home and it was so funny because I'm sitting there and they're sitting there and we'd look at each other and just start laughing because we couldn't talk. And you know what the mother did? She did what every mother in the world does. She brings her children in and wants them to perform for me. So, and you could see the kids, the same old thing. Oh, mom, I, you know, sing. I, can, I knew she was trying to get them to sing or do something. Uh, it's amazing. We're, we all love our children, don't we? So it doesn't matter anywhere, anywhere in the world. Every person I've ever met, you know what the, all they want is? They just want a home and a family. You know what I believe? I believe that your home and your family are a picture of God's kingdom. Let me say that again. You've got to think about this one a little bit. See, Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God always has been, always will be. There's, it, has, it says, from everlasting to everlasting, no beginning and no end. God's kingdom has always been and it always will be. Pretty hard to even grasp. So Jesus didn't come to build king, the kingdom of God. He came to reveal the kingdom of God. He came to proclaim it. He came to say, God is here. He is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. And because we were blinded by our sins, we couldn't see the kingdom of God. So he said, I'm going to reveal something. And since you can't see it, even though it's real, you have to accept it by faith. So faith is the evidence of things unseen. But God is here, and He's ever-present. He's always loving us, and He's always there for us. And we have to learn to live by faith that He's there. Because sometimes, you know, our cry is, God, where are you? Well, I think Jesus came to reveal God's kingdom. And, and even in the creation, uh, Romans 1.20 says, The created things reveal the invisible things. 
Read that sometimes, Romans 1.20. It said, even the invisible attributes of God are made visible through what has been made, through what was created, so there's no excuse. People say, I don't understand the kingdom of God. And I said, there's no excuse. You know why? Because your family is a picture of the kingdom of God. How did God reveal himself? Did God reveal himself as a pastor or a father? Hmm. He revealed himself as a father, didn't he? And when we come into the right relationship with God, are we his congregation or are we his children? Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of love does God have for us? Second uh, Thessalonians, as a father loves his children and comforts them and encourages them and teaches them. That's the love of God for us. Every, every relationship, everything we have within a family is literally a visible representation of an invisible kingdom. That's real. Can there be something real that you can't see? Can we literally believe in things that, are, that we can't see that are real? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. The evidence of things unseen. Uh, everybody hold your hand up in front of your face and blow real hard. What did you see? Nothing. But did you create evidence that something's in this room that you can't see? Faith is the evidence of things you can't see. And we can create evidence that there are things that are real we can't see. The air that's in this room. We have, we've already created the evidence that it's real, even though we can't see it. So um, your family and the family is a picture of God's kingdom. When God, uh, and by the way, you know what I've learned in studying about the kingdom of God? You know what God wants? What's the one thing that God wants? A home and a family. Isn't that interesting? Why did God do everything He did? Why did He reveal Himself? And why did He, that doesn't it say that we're a chosen people, we're the children of God? And when we go to heaven, where are we going? Home. God is creating for Himself a home and a family. That's what the whole message of the gospel is about. It's about God's kingdom and God's desires and God revealing who He is and God revealing His eternal purpose. Ephesians 3.11. You can write that one down. Ephesians 3.11. Look it up sometime. And God accomplishes His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. God has an eternal purpose. You know what God's eternal purpose is? To have a home and a family. And so if we want to understand God's kingdom, guess what we have to Guess what God gave us to understand His kingdom? He gave us a family. Remember, created things are temporary things that reveal eternal things. Created things are temporary things that reveal eternal things. For instance, is marriage eternal? No. Marriage is not eternal. Ephesians 5. Marriage is not eternal. A man shall leave his mother, and a woman leave her home, and the two shall become one flesh. They become one until death parts them. Marriage is not eternal. Your earthly family is not eternal. It's a temporary picture of an eternal kingdom. And that's everything that God created... I'm going to say this again because you got, and I challenge you to go back and read your scripture and begin to study this. Everything that God created was a temporary picture of an eternal truth. 
And so, what is life here on earth? It's a vapor that appears and then it's gone. It's not eternal, is it? Life here on earth. But it's a picture that there is an eternal life. Because the temporary nature of this life gives us a value system to base what eternal life is. Eternal life is real valuable. When you realize the temporary nature of this life, you go, wow, I get to live forever. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, what did he ask him? Did he ask him how to be born again? No. What did he ask him? How can I have this eternal life? How can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he'll never see the kingdom. Unless a born, man is born again, he'll never enter the kingdom. You must be born again to have eternal life. Life here is temporary. Life there is eternal. So everything God created, and we're going to really focus on the family this morning, because the church is not a picture of God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again, and go back and read your scripture. You know, we, when we present things, we say, go to the Word of God. The church is not a picture of God's kingdom. The church are the people of God's kingdom. He said, I've, you're a chosen people. You're a new nation. You're a race of people. And what, what, what is the great thing about being part of that race? We are heirs to what? To the kingdom. So the church is the people of God's kingdom. The family is the picture of God's kingdom. So if Satan came to destroy God's kingdom, remember now Satan, the, John 10.10, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. But why did Satan come? To kill, steal, and destroy. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You can't kill something that's not already been born. You can't steal something that hadn't already been bought. You can't destroy something that hasn't already been built. What did, Satan doesn't come to do anything. What does he come to undo things? God creates, Satan destroys. So listen to this. If the family is a picture of God's kingdom, what does the, Satan's first point of destruction? What does Satan want to destroy first of all? The family. Why do you think the family struggles? Why do you think the family is under attack? Because here's this God's picture of his love. And where do you learn faithfulness? In a Sunday school class? Is that where you learn faithfulness? Mm -mm. Where do you learn commitment, lifelong commitment? In a sermon? No. You know where you learn that? In a marriage, in a family. That's where you learn to love and forgive and all the things that God's trying to instill in us about His nature. We learn all those things in the context of relationships within a family. So Satan comes to do what? To kill, steal, and destroy. Now, dads, listen carefully. Men, scariest thing about being a man, especially a dad, scariest thing, your children's opinion of you will be their opinion of God. But God, God chose to reveal himself as what? A father. Let me say it again. You need to hear this, man. Your children's opinion of you will be their opinion of God. 
God chose you to be his representative in a home to reveal who he is and what he's like. Who's the first person that Satan goes after in a family? The dad. Do you know in America today, right now, this is, this is promise keepers. This is their statistics. In America today, out of every ten kids, four out of every ten kids goes home every night where there's no father in the home at all. That's in America. It's worse in other countries. Four out of every ten kids in America go home every night, no dad in the home whatsoever. Three out of every ten kids goes home every night, and it's not their biological dad that's in the home. In America today, when kids go home, how many kids go home every night to their biological dad? Three out of every ten. You think Satan's attacking the home and the fathers of homes? Yeah, they have a big bullseye printed right on them. He says, I'm taking you out. I'm going to distort the way you think. I'm going to distract you. I'm going to divide you. I'm going to destroy you so that you will be this poor representation of God in your home. A little girl, her name was Allison Dark. Now, some of you old timers might remember this guy. His name was Alvin Dark. Alvin Dark was Allison's dad. And they were in our church. She was in my youth group. And Alvin Dark is one of the few players that's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is both a player and a coach. He coached the Oakland A's back in the late 60s, won three, state, three straight World Series with the Oakland A's. And then he actually was, a, I think, second baseman for the New York Yankees. So this man was uh, in the Baseball Hall of Fame both as a player and a coach, very few. At the end of his time in, uh, with the Oakland A's, he was fired. They won their third World Series, and he was fired. And you go, what did he do wrong? You know what he did wrong? He took a stand for Christ in the organization. That's what he did wrong. That wasn't printed in the paper, was it? They said, we can't deal with this man. You know why? Because of his faith in Christ. He said, I can't be a part of an organization that deceives people. I can't be a part of an organization that's doing what you're doing. Either you straighten that out or I'm gone. They fired him. Here's what his daughter said about him. She said this. She said, if God is anything like my earthly father, I want to know him. What a testimony of a child about their father. If my heavenly father is anything like my earthly father, I want to know him. That's the role of a father in the life of a child, to point our children to their eternal heavenly father. Unfortunately, more young people that I've worked with through the years have told me just the opposite. They said, if God's anything like my earthly father, I don't want anything to do with it. That's sad, but that's a, unfortunately a more true story than the Alice and Dark story. Many kids don't want anything to do with God because the role that their earthly father played in their life. Now, I'm not here today with a message of condemnation. You know, when I speak about this, and I've shared this message different places uh, here in the U.S. and outside the U.S., and boy, sometimes we as parents, we sort of duck our heads and we go, oh gosh. Uh, I wish somebody had told, dads go, I wish somebody had told me this when I was 12. All right, uh, young ladies and young men who are 12, you're hearing this right now. 
Somebody's telling it to you when you're 12 because you know what you are in 10 years? Girls, you know what you all are in 10 years? You're the moms. It's not that far away. And young men, in a few years, you're the dads. And so it's time to get it right, isn't it? It's time to correct our course. See, there's two kinds of repentance because there's two kinds of sin. Did you know that? There's two kinds of repentance and there's two kinds of sin. There's sin that leads unto death and there's sin that does not lead unto death. I didn't understand that. You know, I was going, what does that mean? <laughs> you go, you re- Have y'all read that? Remember that one? There's sin that leads unto death and there's sin that doesn't lead unto death. And I was going, okay, uh, if I'm going to sin, I hope it's the ones that don't lead unto death. What, what does that really mean? Here's what it means. That apart from Christ, what does sin lead? Unto death. But as believers, when we mess up, does our sin lead unto death? No, it doesn't lead unto death. But does that mean, should we? So there's repentance. There's repentance that says, before I'm a believer, I repent from my sin and turn to Christ. And so I'm forgiven. As a believer, I'm already forgiven. So what do I, I don't repent the same way I do before I become a Christian. To, to receive God's forgiveness, I've already received His forgiveness. Repentance for a believer is what? It's just correcting our path. We get off path. Read, uh, you can write this one down, read uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is, giving for, and is given for four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness and what is right. Here's what that means. Teaching. The path we're to walk, to follow Christ. Reproof, where we get off the path. Correction, how we get back on the path. Instruction in righteousness, how we stay on the path. What does Scripture teach us to do? Correct our path. How many of y'all ever need your path corrected? We all have. We, we all said, yeah, I got off base. I got to get back on base. So Scripture's there for teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And, and so... Uh, how do we stay on the path? Well, one thing is to understand family. And the faithfulness, the devotion, the love, all the things, uh, the patience, uh, the, the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where do you learn those? In a family. You don't learn those in a Sunday school class. You learn those in the context of a relationship where people are committed to each other to arrive somewhere. First, first Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. What does First Corinthians 14:1 say? If this is the love chapter, then guess what First Corinthians 14:1 says? So let love be your aim. Let love be the end of where you're headed. Here's what it means to love. Here, here's what love really means. Now let that be your goal. So when and you guys have been married for a while or just getting married, you realize you don't start there. In that relationship, in that husband and wife relationship, you don't start there. That's where you finish. That's where you're headed. Let love be your goal. Let love be your aim. And so we learn love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness in marriage. So what does Satan come to do? Destroy. To kill, steal, and destroy. And he's coming, he comes after our families. Do we live in fear? Absolutely not. Greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. But we are to live wise 
two or three times. Uh, you know, uh, Peter said it and Paul said it. So, because we're now aware of Satan's ways, of his deceitful ways. We, we realize what he does now and how he deceives us and how he comes after us. So, let's not be unaware of how Satan operates, but let's know who we are, whose we are, and where we're headed. And that we live with those things and those realities. So, Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> the responsibility of teaching children about the kingdom of God, the responsibility of teaching kids the Bible is not given to the church. Old Testament or New Testament? Let me say that again. Listen carefully. The responsibility of teaching children the things of God and about the kingdom of God, nowhere in Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, is given to the church. You know who it's given to? The family. And specifically, the fathers in the family. Why do you think Satan's taking out the dads? Why do you think he's getting them out of the way? I was sitting in, uh, in Wichita, Kansas, speaking in Wichita, Kansas. This was a few years back, and there was about 1,000 men on Saturday morning in church. I was pretty amazed by that. So here's 1,000 men. They're having this weekend conference for the men in the area. And here's 1,000 men sitting in church. Uh, so obviously they know the Lord or they come to, they're coming to find out about Him because they chose to be there. And so I gave a little introduction to what we talked about. And I said, now how many of you, your father played the role of teaching you the things of God? When you think of what you know about God and His kingdom and Christ and salvation and what the Word of God teaches, how many of y'all, your father played the primary role in that? Now here's a thousand men in church on Saturday morning at a men's conference. How many men raise their hands? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands in here. But I'll tell you what happened that morning. Three men out of a thousand raised their hands. And said, my dad taught me the things of God. My dad taught me the word of God. My dad, my, my dad took that responsibility on. You know why? Because that's your biblical responsibility. I had one guy say, well, I don't know how to do that. And you know what I told him? Well, don't have children. <laughs> he didn't like that. He said, I don't know if I can do that. I said, well, that's a prerequisite. Don't have children then. Because it's your responsibility to teach them the things of God. It's right in the Word of God. So not only you go, if that's my responsibility, not only now I've got to take on that responsibility, but how do I do it? Because usually I try to get the kids in the car and get them to church so somebody else can do it. See, that's what I did as a youth pastor. I had many, many people would bring their kids to me and say, okay, you're the youth pastor, I'm going to bring my kids to you and you teach them the things of God. And I bought into that, by the way. It made me an important person. I thought, wow, all these people are bringing their kids to me to teach them the things of God. And guess what I found out real quick? I was a poor substitute for what the parents should have done in their life. No matter how good I tried to be, and no matter how effective I tried to be, I could never replace the role of a parent in the life of a child. It can't be done. Now, many times in the church, that's what our programs are. We do two, one of two things. We try to fill in the gap for kids that don't have families, and we try to fill in the gap for families that don't take on the responsibility. So we have all these programs at church. I like that. I got paid for doing that for a long time. I was going, hey, this is good. But then I, I went, wait a minute. Why shouldn't I switch my approach? Why shouldn't I, instead of just saying, I'm going to teach the kids, why shouldn't I, as the youth pastor, begin to teach the parents that they are the ones to teach the kids the truths of God. 
That's their role. It's not the church's role. We sort of, the church, as the family of God, we sort of fill in the gap when, when families fail to fulfill their responsibility. I had a dad tell me one time, he says, I, I can't teach. I said, you can't teach. He said, no, I would do this, but I have no clue how to teach. I said, did you teach your son how to throw a baseball? He said, well, yeah. I said, did you teach him how to fish? Well, yeah. Teach him how to drive? Uh-huh. I said, and he can do all those things. Yeah. I said, well, you're a pretty good teacher then, aren't you? He went, hmm. I said, see, you were either deceived in believing you couldn't teach him, or you just chose not to. You chose to pass that off to somebody else. Why would God give that to the family? Why would he give that responsibility to the family if the family couldn't do it? So remember, this is not a message of condemnation. It's not repentance unto salvation. It's Christian repentance unto correcting our course. And some of you say, well, gosh, it's too late for me. My, my kids are already grown and gone. Yeah, they are, but you still have grandchildren. And when, when your children get older, you're still raising the next generation of parents. And sometimes we have to sit down with our kids and say, guys, I blew it. I, t- I took you to church so the church could replace my, the responsibility in my life to teach you the things of God. And I have to say, I'm sorry. What can I do now? to speak into your life and correct that and help you become that in the life of your children. At some, at some point, we have to correct our ways. We have to correct it. And we have to realize that the family is under assault. Why? Because the family is the picture of the kingdom of God and the relationship of a husband and wife, Ephesians 5, is what? A picture of Christ and His church. And all those images are in there so God can prepare us for His eternal kingdom. This is temporary. All this is is a preparation for what? An eternal kingdom. Jesus came to proclaim what? The gospel of the kingdom. How many times born again is mentioned in the New Testament? Twice. Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again, and Nicodemus wasn't asking him how to be born again. What was Nicodemus asking? How do I get into the kingdom? How can I have this eternal life? Peter said, we've been born of corruptible seed. We must be born again of incorruptible. You know how many times the gospel of the kingdom is mentioned in the New Testament? 72 times. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to every nation, then the end will come. You know, what is it? Luke 4, 43, and Jesus gathered his disciples and said, I must go city to city and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, for that's the reason I was sent into the world. And our family is a picture of God's kingdom. And Satan is out to destroy that, and he's done a pretty good job, hasn't he? But you know what? And the sad part is, inside the church, he's been just as effective as outside the church. When you study the stats... There's, many, there's as many families falling apart and failing inside the church as there are outside the church. Did you know that uh, the divorce rate is down in this generation? Does that make you excited that the divorce rate's down? Shouldn't. You know why the divorce rate's down? Because kids don't get married anymore. They just live together. Because we've been such a poor example of what marriage should be, they go, why do that? It doesn't work. It fails. 
So forget that. We'll just live together. And so we as the church, we as the people of God, in our homes and in our families, are to be the representation of God's eternal kingdom. We're the picture. We're a temporary picture of an eternal kingdom. And we should be thankful for the eternal kingdom, and we've got to realize what, what the family is and what our role is. So when do you teach your children spiritual truth? We're going to go to the Old Testament. And uh, <clears throat> here's, here's Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, same situation. Uh, Israel is, is getting ready to go into the promised land. They know that in the promised land there's all these people, pagan people who have all kinds of godless traditions and this pagan lifestyle. Now they're taking the children of Israel and their children into the promised land. And so Moses is saying, okay guys, get ready. Because we're getting ready to go to a place where, and put our children, subject our children to, to people that don't think the way we think. And they don't believe how we believe. Any parents, y'all ever feel that way? Every day? Now we're putting our children out into a world of people that don't think the way we think and will disagree with what we say. So how do we teach our children spiritual truths? The Bible says in the Old Testament, it gave seven specific times to teach spiritual truth. When do you teach your children? You go, well, I don't teach my children. I take them to church. That's the church's job. Nope. Sorry. The church cannot replace your role in the life of your child. Now, the church can support your role in the life of your child. And the church can empower you to be better at your role in the life of your child, but the church is not to replace your role in the life of your child. So you're going, okay, when do I teach them? And these words I command to you today shall be in your hearts when you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them. And here, here they go, ready? When do we talk to our kids about the things of God? When you sit in your house. I've been in a lot of houses... And there's not a lot of talking going on. There's a lot of texting going on. And there's a lot of uh, internet. And there's a lot of television. A lot of movies. Boy, we've got all those things. You know, I can, get it, I can go in there and get any movie. And, and We're not talking to our children. See, parents, we talk way too much to little children. And we don't talk enough to older children. It's, it tickles me to death. I'll go into Walmart. Blue light special. I'm going into Walmart, and uh, here's a mom there, and this kid is throwing a fit. They're like three years old. You ever been there? We've all been, you know, and they're throwing a fit. When you get home, we're going to have a long talk when you get home, this kind of thing. And like 20 minutes later, you get them to the house, and you walk in. All right, stand over here, and they're standing there looking at you. You remember when we were at Walmart? They go, no. (laughs) Remember at Walmart when you were? No, I don't remember. And you know what? They don't. They literally don't remember 20 minutes ago. So we're there going, but I'm going to teach my, with my young children, I'm going to talk to them, I'm going to reason with them, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all this kind of stuff. You know sometimes what you got to do with young children? You just say, that's right, that's wrong. Now next time I'll give you a spanking again. I mean, we, we, we try to give all this information to little kids that don't have a clue, they have no reasoning ability. We just sometimes, we just need to draw the line and help them walk the line in, in a loving, encouraging way, and sometimes a swat on the rear end. We talk way too much to little children, and then James Dobson says the average parent in America talks less than 18 seconds to their adult, the, to their teenagers in their home. 18 seconds a day is about the when you get up in the morning, okay, you got your stuff ready for school? Yeah, great. Have a good day. Come home from school. Hey, how'd school? Well, they won't talk to me. 
You know, they, I'm trying to talk to my kids about what went on in school today. They don't like to talk about that. So that's pretty much it. Sometimes you need to just cut everything off and sit in your house and talk to your kids. Not preach to your kids. Talk to them. When you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, uh, how many of you go places together? When we were going places together, uh, you know, I was one of the lucky kids. I have a mom and dad that stayed married for almost 70 years, and, and they really, um, I said, my parents didn't have to have a class in our home of, of teaching the Bible. We'll talk about that in just a minute. My parents, we didn't have a classroom in our home teaching the Bible. You know why? Because the Bible was the language of our home. It wasn't a classroom. When something went on, my mom would say, well, let me tell you what the Word of God says. Well, here's what Jesus was teaching us. It wasn't a classroom. We all had to sit down and listen. It was what, the way we talked. It was what they did. It was, their, it was their life. So discipleship is not a meeting with a manual. Discipleship is a journey with Jesus. See, we make it a meeting with a manual. Hey, let's go to church and have a discipleship class and we get the book and we'll fill out all the answers and we get a certificate at the end. And we're a disciple. Because I read the book and filled out all the answers and got a certificate. No, no, no. Information does not make disciples. Information makes Pharisees. Let me say it again. Information does not make disciples. Information makes Pharisees. The Pharisees could answer everything. Jesus looked at them, and he said, you know the Scripture because you think the Scripture will save you. You can answer anything I ask you, you'll answer me with the Scripture. But if you, under, if you understood the Scripture, you'd know who I am because all it's doing is telling you about me. So they knew all the answers. They just didn't know, what the, they didn't know the revelation. They didn't know that Jesus was standing right in front of them. Everything that the Scripture was pointing to was right in front of them, and they couldn't even see it. All the right answers. Discipleship is not information, it's transformation. It's a whole new creation. It's a whole new person. So is information good? Absolutely. Is information the answer? Absolutely not. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. Information is good, but transformation is a way of life. Being I, you know, I heard somebody say, well, at our church we have small groups, and I believe in small groups at church. And I said, well, what is a small group? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a small group of people who are committed to life transformation, and they're committed to each other over a long period of time. I said, you know what that sounds like to me? A family. <laughs> what is it? It's a group of people that are committed to each other to have, to have their lives transformed over a long period of time. The best small group you could ever be a part of to be transformed into the image of Christ would be what? Your family. How many families start realizing that's their purpose? Very few. Parents, they'll start and they'll go, I didn't have a clue that that was the purpose for my family. That we were here to represent the kingdom of God and to raise God's children for His eternal purposes. Nobody ever told me that. We were just in love and we wanted to have a family and feel good and have stuff. and You know, we wanted families great. Get to love each other. I said, boy, God has an eternal purpose. You need to understand that you don't miss it. And it all happens within the family. When you sit in your home, when you walk along the way, how many of you have ever taken your children and say, hey, we're going to have a date? 
father-daughter date, a mother-son date. Hey, let's go and eat. Let's go, let's go out and eat and talk. Take you to the restaurant. I hope your parents are probably doing that. We've got great, you know, there's a lot of great information now helping parents. Spend time with your kids when you go somewhere. My parents, I was telling you about my mom and dad, and I remember when we got in the car, and some of y'all might have the same experience. When we got in the car and we drove somewhere, guess what we did? We sang hymns. We sang, you know, it was like we got the old Baptist hymnal out, and we started singing. In fact, the little old church I grew up in, when the prophet family didn't show up, the choir, they didn't have a choir. You know, there's 12 people in the choir, and we were six of them. And our parents taught us how to sing in the cars we traveled. And we, uh, so it was when uh, God was the center of, of what they were trying to instill in us. He was the center of their life. And as we traveled wherever we went, when you sit in your home, when you, when you walk along the way, uh, when you lie down at night, this is my favorite one. Because uh, our children, Brian, you know our kids. I grew up with them. And uh, so every night I would, they'd all jump in bed, and every night I was home, we'd have Bible story time. I know a lot of parents still do that. I've got a pastor in India that writes me an email every week because we talked about this to him, and he said, you know, I've never done that. And he had small children, so he says, every night I sit down. He says, I'm the preacher on Sunday morning. They should listen to me. He said, every night I now get my children, and we tell a Bible story on their bed before they go to sleep. And he said, I love it, and they're loving it. He said, I'm teaching my children. It's not just my role as a pastor. It's my role as their father. And so I would teach my children. I'd say, okay, Bible story, which one? Of course, they were, we had three children in different ages. And so we got to talk. And then after I'd tell them a Bible story, I'd say, now, you can ask me any question you want to. And I, if I don't know the answer, I'll try to find it. But you can just ask your questions. So uh, Brian will really appreciate this. So Shondi, Shondi, we're sitting there one night. I think she's nine, BJ's six, and Joey's like three. And so our daughter, she's going. Now she's now... 37 and has four children, so it's been, it's been a while. <clears throat> but uh, she said, we told this story, and I said, any questions? She said, Dad, what is hell like? <laughs> I went, okay. And I said, now, let me tell you what the Bible says about hell. You know, one place it's a lake of fire, another place it's a bottomless pit, and another place it's a garbage dump where they take the... I, and I said, and none of them sound good. You don't want, if, if hell's like any of those things, you don't want anything to do with it. And, you know, they're all sitting there. And uh, so uh, Shandi continues on after I said that. And she said, uh, Dad, is it true that if people don't invite Jesus into their heart, they're going to hell? And I said, well, let me explain you know, that Jesus is, you know. So I, we talked about that. And she looked, turned around and looked straight at BJ. And she said, Dad, BJ's going to hell. <laughs> and he's like, and he's quiet. He never says a word. And he's sitting there on the bed, you know. He's sitting there, um, and he's got his arms propped up like this, laying flat on the bed, and his eyes are this big. You know, we're talking about hell. And he says, Dad, BJ's going to hell because he's never asked Jesus into his heart. And BJ never, no emotion whatsoever. No, I'm not. I asked Jesus into my heart five minutes ago. <laughs> and... You can't miss times like that with your children. So, I mean, uh, he got it real quick, didn't he? He was going, uh-uh, I ain't going there. So what I have to do? But uh, so when you lie in bed at night, talk to your kids. And it's not this religious spirit of condemnation and fear. It's the love of God and the truth that brings life. 
Jesus spoke the words of life. And so when we go to bed at night, many times the kids would ask me a question, and I'd do a post-it note on the I'd say, I don't know the answer, but tomorrow morning that note will be on the, on the mirror. Well, guess what they learned? Sometimes I got the answer right, but guess what they learned? That night after they went to bed, I went to work. I went to the Word of God and looked for the answer. And so they knew that me searching the Scripture was a part of my life so I could give them answers from the Scripture. When you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning and we'd go in and, and, and pray with them as they started their day and bind them on the signs around your hands. See, I'd wear two rings. The sign's on my hand. A covenant I made with my wife to be faithful and to be Christ's representative in her life. And the covenant I made with my children to raise them in the ways of God. Bind them on your hands. Why, uh, wear them as frontlets between your eyes. I hadn't gone there yet. I guess uh, hopefully that's our, you know, refer, maybe refer to our brain. But there are a lot, you know, make your, make your life with Christ visible. I wrote a book on parenting and and I wrote in, in the foreword, I thank my mom and dad because following Jesus was not a Sunday ritual. It was a way of life. And I let, I let my children write the foreword. And our children all said, uh, we follow Jesus because following Jesus was not a Sunday ritual. It was a way of life. So what our parents did in our lives, we did in the lives of our children. It wasn't a religious ceremony or ritual. It was the way we lived following Jesus. Discipleship is not a meeting with Emmanuel. It's a journey with Jesus. Where he, when Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, read this book and tonight we'll discuss it and fill in the blanks. You know what he said? Follow me. And you know how you disciple your children? You, you tell them to follow you on your journey of transformation. You follow them on your journey of pursuing Christ's likeness your your journey of being like him and on that journey they become like him see uh, you ever tried to push a rope lay a rope out on the floor and try to push it sometimes you can't push a rope it goes anywhere just go to the other end of the rope and pull it and guess what it does it just stays in a straight line and goes anywhere you want it to we don't, push our we don't push our kids toward God. We lead our children to God. And so many parents, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take my kids here, and I'm going to make sure they're getting involved in this and this. And Jesus said, no, just follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll, I'll make you disciples if you'll just follow me. That's the role of a parent in the life of a child. Write them on the doorposts of your homes and on your gates. And remember, I put stickers on the mirror, and we put some, you know, when kids walked in, they saw, this is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so our kids knew where we stood, but it couldn't be a game we played. It had to be a life we lived. And there are a lot of kids right here uh, in Williamson County, because we worked with a lot of them, and what they believe is that church and following Jesus is a game you play not a life you live. Because what they saw on Sunday morning and what happened Monday 
were two different things. And they saw following Jesus as a game you play to earn some kind of righteousness before God or to fulfill some kind of religious duty that would make you acceptable to others instead of truly living in faith as a child of God and letting Him transform you into His likeness so that God could not only have a family, a home, but a family that bears His image. See, we, we love our children. You know why we love our children? Because they bear our image. Now, I love somebody else's kid. You know, if somebody mistreats your kid, it'll make me mad. If somebody mistreats my kid, I'm shooting them. <laughs> it's different, isn't it different when your kid's mistreated? You know, I hate it when I see people treat kids like that. If they do my kid that way, we're going to war here right now. There's something about children that bear your image. See, God just wants a home with a family that bears His image. And because we bear His image and we're His children, then we get to inherit His kingdom. See, everything in this world does what? Teaches us eternal truths. Because those who bear our image inherit what we have. And when we, through Christ, we become, we bear the image of God and we're heirs to everything He has. If you're going to get it right... If you're ever going to get it right, get it right at home. So many people find their fulfillment in the ways of the world and in the things of the world. And, and I, I, like I said, I was one of those lucky kids. But I can truly say that my dad never found his fulfillment in the work that he did. My dad found his fulfillment in being the right father and the right husband. And for so many men in the world today, that's secondary. You know, I'm, I've got this position, I work here, and I'm esteemed in my community, and I make all this money, and then, then I'll go home and I'll try to be a good husband and good father. And that's secondary. No, that's first. If you're going to get it right, get it right at home. Priorities. Keep that right. Um, <clears throat> There's two types of repentance. There's repentance from sin that leads to death. And when we realize that we're apart from Christ because of our sin and we've never come in, into Christ through faith, then we, we, are, we are part of sin that leads to death. But there's part of sin that doesn't lead to death. And that means once we come into Christ, we're, we're saints. We're His children. But yet, He still has some work to do in us, right? Now that we're in the family... He still has some work to do in us so that we can bear His image. All things work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, who He foreknew and predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son so that Jesus might be the first to bear His image. And, and we'll get into that one later. There's a whole message there about bearing the image of God. Your home is the place. Your home is... The church is the people of God's kingdom. We come together and celebrate who we are in Christ. The home is a picture of God's kingdom. That's where you teach and that's where you learn. The best small group you can ever be a part of, a small group of people committed to life transformation over a long period of time, it's called a family. That was God's picture and God's purpose 
That's why it's so important to all of us. Family, the most important thing. So make sure if you get it right, you get it home. There's repentance from, from sin that leads to death, and there's repentance from sin that does not lead to death because we've already been delivered from death to life. And, and one of my favorite verses is Romans 8, 1, now that we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. So this is not condemnation for believers. This is correction and instruction in righteousness. We've got to get this right for the sake of our families and for the sake of our children, and most importantly, for the sake of God's kingdom. Family was His way of teaching us about His eternal kingdom. And we've got to get it right there. So if there's uh, some repentance that needs to go on, repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance is a way of life. It's correcting our course. And I have to correct my course every day. Because it's, it's amazing how easily we get blown off course, isn't it? Continual course correction. It's the way a pilot flies a plane. He takes off, and if he doesn't correct his course, he runs off the end of the runway. So he has to correct his course so he can go up. And if he doesn't correct his course, what does he do? He just flies off out into space because the world's round. So immediately after he takes up, I've got to correct my course. So I've got to find the bearings so I can... Keep going to the curvature of the earth. Then here comes a cloud. It's right in my path to get to that place, so I have to fly around it, sometimes through it. And here comes a storm, and here's this wind that blows me off course. Have you all ever, uh, has anybody piloted a plane? You understand this, yeah. And so you don't just start to one point and go to another. You're following signals, and you're, you're continually correcting your course till you get where you want to arrive. Continual course correction. It's the life of a believer. We're on this journey to Christ's likeness, and the world is against us, and we have an enemy that's against us, but we have the Holy Spirit that's in us, and we have Christ before us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he said. What do we look at? We're always fixing. That's our destination, Christ's likeness. And so, but we, when we get off, we get back on track, and then we take our children on that journey with us. Then they get it. They understand. It's not religious duty or Sunday activity. It's life. It's a way of life, the life we have in Christ. Let's pray. God, <clears throat> um, the information this morning is not new information. Probably things that most of us have already heard. For some, it might be new revelation. Never thought of it that way before. But God, you're loving us, and as a loving Father, sometimes you even correct us. But you're continually, by your Spirit, drawing us to yourself. And the picture of what you're like, Christ, the visible image of the invisible God, so that we can be transformed into his likeness. God, help us to get, get it back on track. Lord, we want to get it right. And we confess that we need your help. We can't do it in our own strength. Lord, we need to, if we live by the Spirit, we need to walk in it. And so, Lord, help us every day to get up and not live by fear, but live by faith. And in every step, to not be conformed to this world through our flesh, but to be led by your Spirit so we could be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to do it in our homes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.